Welcome to episode 114 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Charlene Reeve. She served in the U.S. Air Force as a band member, and I personally didn't know anything about how people join the military as band members. I wasn't sure what the process was, and so I found it really fascinating to hear about how the tryouts happen and how competitive it is to become a band member in the military bands. So I think it was really interesting to hear her story of joining the Air Force as a band member because it's something that I haven't covered before and something I didn't know anything about. So if you have considered joining the military bands and want to know how that process works, then this episode's for you. And even if you don't want to join the Air Force as a band member, I think you'll find it really fascinating and interesting because maybe you're like me and don't know how that process works. I also want to give Charlene a shout out for being a Patreon member. And I just appreciate everyone who supports the podcast through giving financially. It really does help so much in helping me continue to get these stories out. So I really appreciate her. And if you're interested in checking out Patreon and becoming a Patreon member, you can check out more in the show notes. It's another great interview, so let's get started. You're listening to Season 3 of the Women of the Military Podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military Podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you, Amanda. I'm excited to be here. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Sure thing. The military band career field allowed me to support myself in my chosen career of music performance. Yes, I can hear you laughing right now. Yes, I got two music performance degrees before joining the military. (laughs) And I also got copious amounts of student loan debt. So the military band, specifically the Air Force band career field, allowed me to support myself in my career field but also to do to make music for a, an enormous purpose, bigger than any one person could possibly be. So were you able to enlist or because most, most all the band members are enlisted except for the conductor, right? See, I know my band stuff. <laughs> yes, you do. Absolutely. And yes, we are a bunch of very overeducated people with like two and three stripes, you know, walking around. And, and it's, it's very, it's a unique experience. And, you know, I kind of talk, I want to talk about this later when I'm thinking about advice to give to girls interested in the military. There's so much diversity. The U.S. military is the biggest employer in the world. (laughs) As of 2017, I think there were 3.2 million employees. It's an enormous employer. So, of course, we have different backgrounds. Of course, you know, some people are going to come in with an enormous amount of, of skill or experience or prior work experience or, in my case, degrees. 
And that's common for various band members to get like their music degree and then want to pursue a career in music, which I know because I know a lot about music because we watch a lot of like concerts and stuff. And I know how hard and complicated it is to be a performer and to like make ends meet. Yeah. And especially, you know, we're recording in the midst of COVID-19 pandemic time. So many musicians have done what they can to be gritty and pivot with the times. But really, it is the road not taken by many. (laughs) Yeah, I I think the reason I know so much about it is one of my friends from high school went to Chicago after high school. Actually, I think after college to pursue a career in music and she spent most of her time like trying to work and find a job and she was working at Victoria's Secret and then eventually she moved back to her hometown and got a job doing something else where she wasn't a musician and she was like in honor bands and all this stuff and she still wasn't able to make ends meet in Chicago. And that is a story that is such a common story. I can't tell you how much talent there is out there. And actually, technology helps. It, it can it can help with that because, hey, you know, you might have a different day job, but you're still able to play at night or you're still able to do recordings on the weekends and and you can release you know via social media. So you have an audience. So you have some way to monetize that. It's very difficult. It's a very difficult road and it's very fiercely competitive. (laughs) And just consider, um, just Google how many working orchestras there are right now and how many people want to listen to classical clarinet just for funsies by itself. (laughs) Yeah. So, so after you graduated, you found yourself in a place where you had a lot of loan debt and you needed a steady income. And so the military made the most sense? Absolutely. It was always a possibility. It's one of the chosen vocation tracks that, okay, you have a music performance degree. This is an option for you. And believe me, I went through a personal series of iterations of, oh, yeah, this. I'll get a cool group of, of people to do uh, contemporary music and <laughs> we'll go to New York. It'll be great. What ended up happening was after I got my uh, master's degree, I did go back home and I had an opportunity to teach at a local college to teach music appreciation, not private clarinet students, but music appreciation. (laughs) So I was cobbling being a part-time college teacher with some private students with any gigs I could get. And then, of course, continuing to take auditions, which is totally nuts (laughs) to sustain for a long period of time. But within that first year out, uh, it, it was actually a little less than half a year later, I won an audition. So the way it works, I should explain that. You don't just, hey, I played trumpet in high school and I love the marching band, so I'll go be a military band player. No, <laughs> you take audition as a civilian. And if you win the audition, then you get to go to MEPS. They pair you with a recruiter and you go through the process there. And believe it or not, I I knew someone who was a very talented clarinetist, and and he had also been offered a position in one of the bands. He did not make it through MEPS, and I only found out after I got out of basic (laughs) because he won an audition the same day I did um, at a different band. And so uh, it is possible to win the audition, beat out the competition, and not make it through MEPS, not even make it to basic. And, and then, of course, it's, it's a very different experience to be one of the 
older people in the crowd <laughs> as a trainee. My personality, I was actually a year younger, so <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> and then once you get from basic, you already know the duty station you're going to be in because you're, there's no tech school. You've, you've won the audition, so you show up to the band that needs you, and then your career goes from there. So I want to hear more about the audition process, especially since so many of my listeners are young women who are looking to join the military and maybe they might be asking. So I'm thinking for them and just because I'm curious, but how do you even like get the audition and like how, how many auditions are there or what's the whole process? Great questions. And I'm going to, I'm sorry to tell you, I don't know right now because it's COVID-19 year and this is a magical time of well, we will do this at some point. We just don't know when. <laughs> I, there are actually several people who are in kind of a holding pattern. They want an audition, but they can't go to basic because COVID-19 or various parts of the process, or they have spots available, but they can't hold auditions because of COVID-19. And I don't know what happens moving forward. I can tell you what happened for me. And there are certain avenues that if you're a professional musician, you're looking at musicalchairs.com, or you might be a, a member of the musicians union. And so you'll get a paper or you'll get a subscription to find out what the job postings are in the career field of music, classical music. And then of course, you're narrowing down to your instrument. And the military is a big employer in those magazines. There's very often when I would get whatever the subscription was, there would be some opening in the army. Army was more common than air force, but air force did pop up. <laughs> and the year, uh, the year that I won my audition, there was a premier band audition the week before the regional band audition. So I had gone to DC. I had auditioned for the bowling Air Force Base band. That's the premier Air Force band. And I made it to finals, but I didn't get it. I didn't get the job. And, and, and one of the current musicians offered to just sit with me, give a lesson, you know, give some feedback afterwards. And she said, honestly, you could be in here, but just take another audition. And I said, well, I've got another one in a week. <laughs> so sure enough, I, that was down in Langley. And uh, the next audition, that was the one. <laughs> and I'll never forget, it was Valentine's Day. I took an audition on Valentine's Day. <laughs> and, and then once they offered it, I was like, this is great. Can I put a pin in it until May? <laughs> because, again, I had a commitment to teaching my students. And when I needed to get their grades in, about two weeks after getting their grades into the system and the, at the university level, then I went to basic training and became a trainee. Wow, that's crazy. That's kind of, that's really interesting. And like, I never really thought, I thought, I don't know what I thought. I was like, oh, you just were like, I want to be in the band. But then you hear the band play. <laughs> you know, it's not just like, I just want to be in the band. So, and, and, and a lot of people don't, they don't know the process. Not at all. Uh, it is extremely competitive. Like I said, there's tons of talent out there. And for one reason or another, I, I can't remember the last statistic I read, but I think as of 2017, there was maybe 21% of young adults qualified, just basic qualifications, not necessarily good fits, but basic qualifications. So now you're, you're looking at a very, very targeted, specialized career field of music performance, and not everybody's fit enough to fight. <laughs> and it's just reality, you know, and, and I don't mean just physically, it's also mentally, there, there's a lot that goes into it. So really, 
it, it is it, it was it was such a an honor to be chosen and an honor to play with the perform with the other musicians work with the other musicians who made the same choices and and just get to know people who have excelled in an extremely difficult <laughs> career and and to make something that that we very much hope honors those who serve so you went to basic and then you said there's no tech school because you already know how to play your instrument. So what was your job like when you were on active duty? I, I know you guys go and travel and do different concerts, but what was like a typical week slash month like? Absolutely. Because we're all very good at spinning multiple plates. <laughs> you know, I was pretty much in ops and operations from my second year on. <laughs> and what that means is you're like a tour manager and a marketing manager and uh, <laughs> and the on-site uh, person of contact, you know, you're that person. You're the one who, depending on the band that I was stationed with, sometimes we would actually get invitations through UCOM when I was in overseas and we would have to go to these places and, and the director of operations would farm out, okay, this this kind of ensemble makes sense for this event. And and then if you were the operations representative for that ensemble, you would set up the details and the logistics of, we have this many people, you know, we, we need a stage, we need access to a microphone or, or to a plug or to whatever it is for whatever the purpose of the event was. And you, know, you could be, you could have the smallest footprint was a solo trumpeter, you know, maybe for taps or for a memorial event. And then, of course, the largest would be the concert band, which could be up to 60 people. And uh, you're you're arranging the travel, you're arranging the lodging, you're arranging the actual order of events <laughs> for for your part in it. And then also you perform and you better look pretty for the camera. <laughs> that is like so crazy. I guess I imagine that you would like be practicing all the different songs and like that's what you do. Just play your instrument every day and not like that's so much work. I know a little bit about like all the coordination and the behind the scenes stuff. So I know a little bit about what you're talking about just in being in the like marketing and media space. But that's crazy that you have to do that and perform like <laughs> that's so crazy. We do fit in rehearsals. I should mention we do fit in rehearsals, but I think that's why it's so competitive. That's why the standard is so high. You have to come in being able to play. You can't you can't expect to have hours and hours to practice and hone your craft while you're while you're performing your duties as assigned. <laughs> yeah. Where did you start at your first assignment? My first duty station was at Warner Robins. So that's the Reserve Command for anybody listening <laughs> out there. It's it's the largest component of the Air Force. And the band for it was active duty. So I was active duty from day one. However, we were the U.S. Air Force Band of Reserve. And I say were because it is past tense, because after force shaping in 2012, they closed the doors on that band. And that was one of the bands that was that was uh, permanently shuttered. So, um, yeah, that was my first duty station. So if it closed because of force shaping, you weren't there very long, right? It was so funny. I showed up and, and they said, oh, get comfortable. Yeah, you're at Warner Robins. You'll be here for a while. <laughs> About eight months later, they announced force shaping. They announced that band of the reserve is going to be one of the the bands closed and no one no one lost a job no one got hand that day it was you know, you're going to be in another location and it'll be farmed out 
And then there was some natural attrition as well, because some people were closer to retirement and simply didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> so that happened as well. And I, I know that happened across a multitude of career fields in, in that time. I happened to be at a stage of life where they announced that right around the time the guy I was dating proposed to me. So he was not in the military, by the way. He's another musician. My husband is a violist, and we had met in a symphony outside of the military. We had met at a gig and become friends and become more than friends and developed organically. And then, uh, you know, I got the announcement, well, I'll be moving somewhere probably within a year. Don't know exactly when. Two months later, I got orders to go to Germany. And at the time, he was playing with the Logan Opera Festival in Logan, Utah. And I was in Warner Robins, Georgia. And we had two months to plan a wedding so I could have the same last name and the marriage certificate to be on the same orders to go to Germany in October. That sounds like the military. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you know what, girls listening, you need to know that. You need to know that hey, you're living your life, but you're working for the Air Force. You're a government asset and you're going to be where the government needs you to be. So it's exciting. You get, I was so grateful that we had a three-year opportunity to live in Europe as newlyweds, you know, but there were some other things that came along with that. Well, I'm sure we'll get to that, but you should keep that in mind. You know, this is a place where you might be in one place you don't want to be, or you might be moved around. I was in three duty stations in, the, in a six-year career. That's a lot. That's a lot of moving. Yeah. So you guys got married and then you moved to Germany and you're newlyweds in a foreign country, but you travel a lot. Yes. With various ensembles within the band, I performed in 11 different countries. And the first one was just a few weeks after we had gotten there. So we, we'd gotten there almost on Halloween <laughs> and we showed up. And that's a story in and of itself. Uh, traveling the military rotator out of BWI is a story in and of itself. <laughs> but to move things along, we made it. <laughs> and we made it with our cat. <laughs> and, and then um, and my first concert tour was to Italy with the full, the full complement, the full concert band for a holiday tour. Um, yeah, I was getting close to Christmas time, right? And... You know, I was really crazy. I wasn't really feeling good. And, and we're in Italy, and there's wine, and there's great food. And and I discovered upon returning to uh, our newly acquired home, which is another process, by the way, if you ever get stationed overseas, ask me those questions later. <laughs> yeah, I I discovered that I was a mom, and we had we had brought an extra passenger <laughs> on our flight. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> It's the adventure. That's part of the adventure. So you got, I mean, obviously you could play while you were pregnant, right? And then then you got your maternity leave. And then was your husband able to find work while he was in Germany playing? We were we were extremely blessed. And I, and I mean that. Uh, a lot of spouses have a hard time. And, you know, he couldn't be a freelancing musician uh, over there as an American citizen in Germany. It, they, the systems are not compatible. So he actually walked into a, an insurance position at the Geico overseas location that just happened to be down the road. And there was somebody who was PCSing out, moving out. And so they had an opening. He had the skills necessary. They could train him to do the job. And so he ended up 
selling insurance to military people stationed around the world overseas that, that could drive their own vehicles. So he had a job and then you had a job and then, and then you guys had a baby. <laughs> and yeah. how did, do you have like a C, I see I haven't been overseas. Did you go to like the CDC or how did you do the childcare? I did not do the CDC. I wanted to pursue other avenues and it was a blessing to, to become a new mom over in Germany because there are actually people who are subsidized by the German government to take care of pre-K babies, you know, up to up to the kindergarten age. And yeah, I had a baby and I knew we were, were going back before he would be three. You know? So there would be no problem with the age limit. Again, another family happened to be moving out and they actually, the wife talked to my husband because of the car insurance process to get things back to the States. And she revealed that she had this wonderful nanny, it's called a Tagesmutter, and it means day mother, it's so cute. <laughs> and she was absolutely perfect. Uh, she was like another, a young grandma, you know, and she was very supportive. I wanted to, to nurse, and when I interviewed her, I kind of explained that as much as possible, I would I would be spending my lunch breaks, you know, because <laughs> right? she her, her house was very close to the West Gate of Ramstein. So... I would I would just pack my lunch every day. I'd like eat in the car and I'd go nurse my baby and then drive back <laughs> to be in time for whatever. And and I, I feel like the typical day of kind of going back, the typical day was usually the mornings were more administrative, you know, talking with your sponsors or whoever you needed to talk to to arrange future events. And then the afternoons were more for rehearsals and various ensembles. Sounds like it all worked out really nicely. That part did in Germany. It did not work as smoothly in the States. My third duty station was at Peterson Air Force Base, and it was not as copacetic. So after three years in Germany, you moved back to to the States and went to Colorado. And you said it was hard with childcare or with the job or? With childcare. Again, because I did not want to press the CDC button. And, you know, I, I might mention <laughs> I was enlisted and I had known from the moment I knew I was going to be a mom, I knew I couldn't re-enlist. I knew this was one and done. And I had a six-year contract. I wanted to honor my signature. I wanted to honor my commitment. But this was going to be it. And I didn't make a secret of that with new colleagues at Peterson who were extremely supportive. That is not always the case. They were far less supportive in Germany, which is hilarious because I was going to be there for my three-year tour of duty. And anyway, that's another story <laughs> for another time. But the in-home childcare person that we had gotten for our older son, while my husband stayed home with our second son, who was born after we arrived at Peterson two months, to be precise, after we were born at P Peterson. It, it was not a good environment for our son, and I think she'd just been doing it way too long. And so unfortunately, that what we were hoping would be a loving and more smaller ratio between care provider and children turned out to be kind of toxic. So it was good that that was the shortest amount of time that we needed another care provider. And that definitely played into, no, I need to press the button and I will, I will do my job. I will do the best I can do and leave it. Campfire rules better than I found it. Yeah. So is there anything else from your time in that you really think we should dive into or do you, are you ready to go to tr your transition? 
I think I think a lot of organizations have some elements of toxicity, and there are going to be struggles in whatever you choose to do. There's there's going to be this opportunity for growth, for personal growth. Again, the the period of time that I transitioned to, to Germany was a rough time for a lot of people because it was a time where a lot of people were making different career choices, maybe taking early retirement, maybe. Some things were going away. Some positions were going away, and and fear was very high. After the force shaping, then there was sequestration, and sequestration prevented a lot of activities from occurring, including live performances of band members for a period of time. For me, in my personal life, it was great because it was when I had a baby, <laughs> you know. So I came back to work, and it was a desk job, <laughs> so I could I could go and come back. And there were anything that you could drive to, or was within certainly within house, within you know supporting military events or supporting uh, DoD sponsored events. You know, you were certainly performing, you know, your your job. But all of the community relations and and the uh, strategic outreach between Europe and Africa a lot of those a lot of those events were canceled at, at that time and people were worried about their jobs and so you know I happened to have a boss who was kind of toxic you know the the commander was I, I believe he had some personal struggles he had some personal struggles with alcohol and that's an addiction and anybody who's dealt with addiction or knows somebody who's dealt with addiction knows that that is hard. When you have that kind of person in leadership and they're verbally abusive and their personal moral character is not stellar, it's hard. And it's it's harder in the military because you can't just quit. <laughs> you can't just say, you know what, that's inappropriate. Or, you know what, you can't actually call me that. You can't do that in the military. You just swallow it and let it go, hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully you have the tools and then personal network or the community that's supportive that you can vent, let it go, and then go in and do your job and, and separate one negative person or one toxic environment from, hey, but that's not my job. Hey, that's not the, the Air Force. But even today, even in the 21st century, there there's still misogyny. <laughs> it's still alive and well. And, and women, we are in the minority. We are still in the minority. We're growing. We're getting more seats at the table, but we're still in the minority. It's really true, especially, I mean, this year, 2020, with I and Vanessa Guillen and all the campaigns that are going on to try and make changes, there's still a lot of problems and progress that needs to be made. So let's transition to your transition. I love that we're here, uh, actually, because there are so many choices in transition, right? It's almost possible to be paralyzed by the amount of choice. And, you know, at the end of the day, what I can say to somebody thinking about a military career, somebody currently in it, serving, or somebody who's maybe in transition themselves or recently a veteran or been a veteran for a long time, the military career has a definitive endpoint at some point. It's not lifelong. So you have to have some something brewing in the back of your mind for what next. And I believe the time to start thinking about that is... After you get out of basic, <laughs> you know, you have no time or energy for anything but basic and basic. But after you're done with that, then you're thinking about, okay, this is great. This is where I am. Life changes and the only constant is change. And that's still true in a military career in an organization that is 
very rigorously structured. The cool thing is, you know, the first and the 15th, you know how many years in and how many dependents you have, you know what a pay scale is going to be, but you don't know when they're going to change the retirement from being a pension to being uh, essentially a TSP. <laughs> that's mandatory, which they did, you know, for the Air Force. I, I can't speak for any other services, but they did that. So for my transition, I was about halfway through, um, I was about three years in to my six-year enlistment when I knew this that was going to be it for my military career. So I started planning financially for building up a transition cushion. By the time I was in that terminal leave, at the point of terminal leave, which sounds dreadful, <laughs> it's actually lovely <laughs> for, uh, for the time that, that I was in, I, we were allowed to accrue up to 60 days. And then you knew you were pulling the same paycheck for two months after you don't have any more responsibilities and you don't have to get up at whatever o'clock, <laughs> you know? So we, I had that two months banked of personal leave. I had 40,000 with you know, my husband and I had worked to save that up specifically designed for the transition. And I had multiple plans, like, you know, that branch, <laughs> the, the tree branches of, well, if this, then this, if this, then this. So we had a plan for if we stayed in Colorado. And at the time, my, by the time I was in that terminal leave, my husband had completed his real estate brokerage in the state of Colorado. He had transferred it because he had a real estate license in Georgia. He had transferred it to Colorado. He was starting to get in network with the brokerages and the realtors and organizations in Colorado. And it was going to be his turn to lead. Whatever he found, whatever the new budget was, then I would figure out if I needed, if, do we need full-time, do we need part-time? Is it stay-at-home time? Because, again, my my impetus for leaving was because I'm a mom now, and I could really feel it. My older son was three and a half, close to three and a half, when I separated from the Air Force, and our relationship was damaged because I couldn't be there. I had to go on concert tours. I was gone away overnight, sometimes for many nights in a row, so he didn't trust me. And, and then I had two of them. So there's the additional sibling rivalry. Oh, no, I'm not the only child. There's a younger child and the baby gets all the attention. Right? So unraveling the emotional issues of being a young mom with young children in the midst of this transition and figuring out what happens if we stay in Colorado? What happens if we go to Maryland? And that's where my husband is originally from and his parents are there. We have a little bit of family network there. Well, that would be so nice <laughs> to have someone, someone else to help with life, with raising children, right? Or go back to Georgia, where my husband's professional network was the strongest. We had met in Georgia. He was, he was established as a freelancer and a teacher. He had played in multiple symphonies, ballets, operas. And, and so he was connected the most as a musician back in Georgia. That was a lot to figure out in the span of a couple of months. I have to share this story. I was open, right? I was very open-minded. And I think a lot of veterans are very open-minded about, I can do anything, you know, with a can-do attitude and motivation, right? I wasn't quite that broad, but I was trying to be within communications. I was trying to be, I can be a presenter. I can be a speaker. That's what a performer is. We bring the room, we present information. And I could just tell that a musician's lifestyle and young children weren't going to be the path that I was going to take next. 
because of the schedule. I went to an interview at a potential for a potential training consultant position, and and this was for a veteran-owned security business in Colorado Springs. The guy was as nice as he could be, and the administrative assistant was just lovely. And I particularly learned how lovely they were because I showed up with my toddler to the interview. The babysitter had called that morning a mere two hours before the interview and said she couldn't watch the baby. And my older son was in preschool and my husband was at a networking event in Denver. So it was mommy and toddler. That was not the best first impression (laughs) for a job interview. for a post-military career. I'm so glad I had that experience. And I had a couple of other interesting experiences once we got to the Atlanta area, because again, I had reached out, I had leveraged LinkedIn, found a couple of things to apply to. They offered me an interview and I show up and it's, there's one that, that particularly sticks out in the mind, in my mind, the company was named after a type of shark. It was a consulting agency And after talking with the interviewer for a while, it was a sales position. It was absolutely not a good fit. And it was that moment where I thought, good gosh, what am I doing? I left the military to have more time to be with my boys. So I'm going to do that. And we'll figure out the money. We'll figure out what we have to do later. And in the meantime, there was the peace of mind of, again, having some transition cushion, having that set aside to cover the exorbitant cost of moving cross country. Yes, the, the government does move you to up to your home of record on their dime, but you have a certain time limit and then it will be on your dime <laughs> if you don't accomplish a new home by that point. And, and we had so many things, so many things personally and professionally to figure out happily. My husband got connected with a strings program. So he started teaching and then I was a stay at home mom. And I was a stay-at-home mom with two very young, under five kids. After being that person who was extremely busy and communicating with multiple adults on multiple levels, now I'm communicating with two people who really don't have much of a vocabulary and do inscrutable things because children do, right? And it's amazing and beautiful and wonderful to be there and watch. I would not change that time. It's been over three years now since I separated. I'm so, so grateful that we leaned into lean times for finances, but we lean into much healthier times for family relationships. And what do you value more at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, you know my story, so you know it was a hard transition, but I feel the same way. I'm so thankful to be home with my kids. And when COVID happened, my oldest who had been going to school was home all the time. And I was like, oh, I miss you. And this year we're homeschooling and it's been going really well. I mean, it still has its moments, but it's just so much fun to be able to be there for my boys and to be there with them and watch them learn and grow. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I just really, I love it. So let's talk about, you said you've been home for three years, but I know that you're doing a little bit more than staying at home now. So let's talk about what you're doing now. So homeschooling, yeah, definitely leaned into that journey as well, because we were in the midst of nothing to do with the Air Force, but we've actually had a couple of moves post-military from my husband's dad. I have been homeschooling since my older son was five, and he's seven now. It took practice and consistency and time, but it's also been 
a wonderful journey. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. It's enough of a job in and of itself. On top of homeschooling, I connected with Lori Norris about, I'd say, a year after I separated. And she had put this uh, wonderful all call to veterans who might be within their transition or might be interested in a, a career switch or might be underemployed or, you know, whatever the case may be. I responded to that message. And from that message, there was a phone call. And from that phone call, there was an offer of basically contracted freelance work. For, uh, and she trained me on the job for how to write resume speak <laughs> with a focus for transitioning veterans. Or maybe I, I've also, by this point, you know, I've, I've written material, career materials for civilians as well. But my main focus is transitioning veterans. And, and that's not just transitioning right out of the military. That's also after the military experience, but they still a lot of, uh, a lot of experience that you need to mention has come from the military. So that was very, very amazing opportunity. That has led <laughs> to a podcast and and the podcast is called Lessons Learned for Vets. It's in production right now and we're planning to release it on November 11th. So Lori is going to host it and she brings her breadth of experience and knowledge as a career coach, a professional certified career coach who has helped a multitude of veterans from the one enlistment to a full career spectrum, highest level officers across the services. So she has a wealth of knowledge and she's interviewing veterans who have transitioned. She's interviewing veterans currently in transition. And and it, the idea is, of course, a story will be shared. I'm sure a series, <laughs> a series of stories will be shared, but to give anyone actionable tasks to do specifically targeting transitioning veterans. So that's Lessons learned for vets, and and that's in production, and I'm I'm on her team to uh, to edit that and to to get it out there as much as possible to to help share lessons learned with with our brothers and sisters. Yeah, that sounds amazing, and I'll link to it in the show notes because by the time this goes live, it will have had a few episodes out at least. And- <laughs> So we can share it and people can find it and listen because that sounds really interesting. And I bet there's so many different transition stories that people can learn from. And one thing that I struggled in my transition is I felt so alone. And through the podcast, I realized I wasn't the only one who felt the way. So I'm sure that that'll resonate with a lot of veterans and especially people who are looking to get out. So that sounds really cool. So... My last question is, what advice would you give to women considering joining the military? Yes, you can. So I mentioned earlier the size of the employer, right, that the U.S. military is. Any branch, you're getting diversity, you're getting a a slew of opportunities, and you're going to learn about different kinds of career fields. So yes, you can. (laughs) You can do it. I want any girl thinking, listening to this, thinking about the reality of life. And between men and women, women are the ones who get to carry the babies and have the babies. So when you're looking at an employer, consider what the maternity policies are and consider how many employers include six weeks of maternity leave, six weeks primary caregiver leave, and three weeks of secondary caregiver leave. How many employers, and I know this is current, this is more current. When I was in, there was at least a year before you would deploy after giving birth. 
So as a woman, you know that you're going to be with your baby as a baby. You know, that's extremely important. I could tell multiple stories about breastfeeding in combat boots and uh, pumping at work. And at the time that I was in Germany, we were, the band was in a temporary location. I put temporary in air quotes, which you can't see on podcast, <laughs> but it, it was temporary in the sense that they had already been there a couple of years when I showed up and we were still there when I left three years later. They had installed permanent plumbing in the porta potty next to the warehouse, the temporary warehouse. And there was, it was this post World War II, you know, lead based paint, asbestos in the ceiling. We named the bats. You had to check your desk to make sure there wasn't any bat poo on your chair or. <laughs> I think I think it was Nosferatu when I got there, and it was like I don't know, it was either Dracula or Lucy when I left. I can't remember. <laughs> but you know, so so this is something that might happen, and it was not a place where I could pump breast milk. There was no potable water, you know, to clean the parts out. So my first shirt, my first sergeant had an office about halfway across the base with a door that closed and locked and also outlets <laughs> and also access to a bathroom that I could wash the parts in with hot water. That was something to consider. Not every employer is going to support your personal goals and dreams. And, and along with that, how many employers pay for your college education? I am pressing the button on a master's program in marriage and family therapy it's starting on Monday. It's 100% paid for by the GI Bill. And there's a housing allowance. There's once per year book stipend. And by the end of this, I can take the exam to get a license in another specialty. And it's thanks to my service in the Air Force. So how many employers will do that for you? Yeah, there are a lot of benefits. It's a lot of sacrifice. And that's how you get those benefits. But there are <laughs> benefits on the other side. I refer you to Nosferatu. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and for your story about what it's like to join and serve in the Air Force Band and what it was like to be married to a male military spouse and just going overseas and everything that you talked about. I really appreciate you taking time to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Amanda. It's fun. listening to this week's episode of Women of the Military Podcast. Do you love all things Women of the Military Podcast? Become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review. It really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow. Are you still listening? You could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book Women of the Military on Amazon. Every dollar helps helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.